We didn't talk about the music. That's okay, though. Yeah. Yeah, we probably should. I, I thought the music was pretty good. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Faith Podcast for May 2022. I am your host, Jonathan Butrin, and I'm joined once again by the Bassmaster himself, Tim Nelson. <laughs> Tim, great to be back with you again. It's a horrifying title that you just gave me, John. Well, is, is it? I thought it, was a, I thought it was a premier title in the fishing world. I, when people, no. assu- people associate certain things with being a Bassmaster, that's okay. That's okay. I uh-huh. just... Uh, well, I'm clearly out of the loop then, but I mention it only because I got to visit Tim recently in Kansas City, and it was an amazing visit, and we did get to go fishing, which was awesome. We spent a whole day on the lake out there, so that was really yeah. John, you got really sunburned. Uh, really sunburned. I'm still peeling, actually. Uh, it's Are finally, you finally starting to heal, but um, it was so bad, dude. Because we did Tim, damage to you. <laughs> Tim suggested, of course, if I wanted some sunscreen before we left, and every time someone says the word sunscreen, I immediately picture rubbing oily white garbage all over my body and then smelling weird and feeling weird, and so I always, my instinct is to say no, and then I get burned, which is terrible for me, and then I end up putting oily aloe all over my body. So either way, is there, there's, there's oily stuff being gonna, that's going to be applied. I would rather do it before. I've learned my lesson for the last time. So, so the key out there is got to dress a little like Luke Skywalker in the yeah. uh, the first movie. Well, the fourth. Oh, gosh. The first one made. And You, were, you were that way. You had long sleeves right. and you were, it, yeah. It's, it's yeah. long, loose clothing. You know, if you wanted to bring your karate gi out there, you could. It's yep. okay. But that's the key to the whole thing. But yeah, you got pretty toasted, man. Yeah, it was, was It was kind of scary. <laughs> But that's okay. We caught fish. We caught like, I don't know, five or six fish, I think, Tim, which was oh, awesome. Yeah. We started out with the live worm bait, and then you graduated me to the, the what did you call that? The crawfish, uh, right? Like it's the like a crawfish. Plastic. Yeah, it's like some, uh, yeah. That was impressionistic great. crawfish pattern, soft plastic. And I caught and, one with that, and it was nice, because you just reel it in. Reel it in, baby, and then they come. They there was no toying with it. There was no, yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah. But John no. did good. I was impressed. You kind of <laughs> walleye too. That's cool. Yes. I had to figure out how to cast. It's been a long time. I think I haven't fished since about, I was 10 with my grandpa. So that was fun. But yeah, once I got the hang of it, it was a good time. And Tim has a great like basement downstairs and I was able to, felt like a vacation. It really did. It felt like I was living in a resort for a few Excellent. days. So it was great. So thank you, Tim. And we got authentic Kansas City barbecue out of the whole thing. Yeah. Awesome. John bought me lunch, like I, the uh, fancy lunch. It was good. We was tried like every good. animal in Kansas City. <laughs> we did. It was all represented on the plate. Yeah, that's right. We're like, yeah, there's no animals left. <laughs> They're all right here. It was good. Yeah, it's a good visit. So thanks again, Tim. That was really fun. Oh, you bet, man. You bet. All right. So it is time for everyone's favorite segment. What have we been watching? So, Tim, what have you been watching, man? <sighs> so we start out with me being a bass master, and I'm going to tell you I've been watching Ozark. <laughs> Yes, I love Ozark. It's so good. How far are you? Uh, I'm getting into it. It's just so it's hard to watch a lot of it. It's like trying to if you've ever watched all the Godfathers in a row or something like that, you kind of come out and you're like, I need to I need to wash my brain out or something. It's just very it's a very kind of you kind of feel a little icky. (laughs) 
very dark, very violent for uh-huh. sure. But Jason Bateman is so good in that show, and you just like because you want to. I don't know. He has this quality about him where it's like, oh, you know, we just got to do this and then do this, and everything will be fine. And he just keeps saying it as things get worse and worse. Yeah, and worse. What's up with? I think that that's the scary. I think he's the most terrifying part of the show. Yeah. So yeah. if you haven't watched it, I don't know if I'd recommend it. It get, deals with some themes, I guess, but it's a high price to deal with the themes of, you know, deaths and is, is there meaning to anything? Choices is one of the big themes in it. Like, yeah. are we the sum of our choices or is there something else? Anyway, good, but it's a little scary. He's scary because I, I realize that he plays the same character in uh, Arrested Development as he plays in this. He's just trying to get the family business in order. <laughs> That's a good He point. really is. And he's like really... um Hey, buddy. Uh, he talks to uh, his kids like he talks to uh, Michael Sarah in the show. It's really scary. Right. right. Yeah, that's good. I didn't even draw that connection. I like it. Yeah. yeah I was like, has, have you really uh, expanded as an actor here? Probably not, but Probably that's not. what's so creepy about it. So you're through season, you're, you're, you're plugging away on season one right now, I'm assuming, right? Two. Two. Oh, two. Okay. But it's hard. I don't know. I can't. I don't know if I can keep going. I might have to take a break. It's too hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not something. It's not. I wouldn't binge watch that show because you're just. That's exhausting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, what I've been watching first of all is Community because when I was ah. at, uh, I have Tim. When I was at Tim's house, he basically tied me to a chair and forced me to watch the first five episodes, and so I <laughs> now am addicted, and I'm on like I I don't know. I'm almost done with the first season. I really like it. I I recently watched the one with Jack Black. I think that was a really good uh, episode. And uh, yeah, it's a great show. It's really fun. So as Tim said, uh, I now join him in saying, if you haven't watched Community on Netflix, you should check it out. It's pretty great. Yeah. It is pretty great. I, I dig it. That's a good show. The other show that I just finished up, which I really loved, was Severance. This is on Apple TV. So it's really cool. It's kind of a high concept show where you have this procedure you can get in your brain where your your brain is basically separated. So when you go to work, you don't remember anything about your personal life. And when you leave work, you don't remember anything that happened at work. And so like on the surface, it's kind of cool because like if you're dealing with tragedy in your personal life, then you don't have to think about it all day at work. And then if your work is terrible, if your job sucks, then you don't have to like think about how much you hate your job when you go home. It's kind of like the best of both worlds and everybody wins, except that then it leaves the option open for bad scenarios. Like if your work is really terrible and abusive, you don't remember that. They could take advantage of you while you're there. Oh, yeah. And then you have these like paradoxes where like, so a part of you is always at work because like you basically, since you don't remember anything about your personal life, you basically leave the office and then come right back because you don't remember anything that happened. So which part of you is your work self? Which part of you is your (laughs) real self? And then there's the two, like if your work self wants to quit the job because it's terrible, you have to like give a message to your outer self, then you may or may not be rejected by your outer self. So there's like a split of yourself going on. It's really Really cool. It's a very interesting show, and it's Ben Stiller is the like uh, the executive producer, and he directs most uh-huh. of the episodes, and he's really good. And so it's just a very dark comedy ish show, but not not I, I don't know. It's drama. There's drama. There's comedy, but like it's dark and it's wonderful, and you should check it out. And season two is on the way. So Apple TV Severance, I would highly recommend it. All right. Well, Tim, while we were together in person, enjoying the Missouri heat wave that happened to coincide with my visit, we went... <laughs> so it's like, like 60 now, man. Like, there's, like, it's like beautiful out. You just you just showed up for like... Uh, 96. It was. It was, re- it was record heat when you yeah. were here. 
Yeah. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised, right? Right. We've we've worked hard to get to this place. (laughs) Yes, yes. By uh, (laughs) not paying any attention to the environmental considerations. Ouch. Yeah, true story. But yeah, so it was really hot, and we decided to catch a movie while we were there, and that is actually the film we're going to be talking about today. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once is the movie we saw. So we went to a movie theater to see that. Now, Tim, true or false, you were tired that night from staying up way too late talking to me on your porch. Yeah, see, <laughs> this is what happens. I It's my fault because I, I, we did a you, – you came in on a late flight, and I knew I was just going to stay up and hang out. And so I was a little bit toasted, so I, I can't – yeah, I got like three or four hours sleep that night before. So whatever I recall, that's just consider bonus for me. That's right. So you were tired and on the way to the theater, true or false, to wake yourself up, you did listen to some rap music with questionable lyrics. Sometimes I have to listen to Lil Wayne to- <laughs> Nobody should. No one should. Okay, like I'm not recommending that to anyone. No. But I did I did I did like the beat and I had to uh I had to wake up a little bit. We've all done it. We've all done that, Tim. And I enjoyed it. So thank you. Yeah, 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 good. It's not advisable, sorry listeners. I don't advise any of that. That was uh you know what do they call it in academic circles? Academic inquiry freedom. Uh huh. But that was more just to wake me up. Yeah. What was my other option? I didn't want to drink coffee right. and then be up another night. Of course. You had no other option but listen to Lil Wayne. I mean, at the end of the day. It, uh, there were, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Nice <laughs> <laughs> plan. All right. No. So we got to the theater, which was uh, the Barrymore 24 or something of that nature. And it's this weird, like, thing that looked like it was a bowling alley at some point. It's got the, like, that spacey carpet and that whole vibe, neon lights glowing. So that was interesting. And we got in there, we got our seats, and then we had, uh, I did our 25 minutes of previews. Tim warned us about this on the Batman podcast, that that was the same theater that you saw Batman in, and it was a crazy. The whole time during the previews, Tim's pointing at his watch and uh, looking I'm at like, me. like, look, look, <laughs> like an old man. Get off the grass, kids. Get off the grass. I Yeah, so uh, my old man, I just repeat the same things over and over again. I do it on the podcast, too. You'll, you, you don't even need, you just, just right. insert a soundbite from another thing, and there's there. But yes, 25 minutes of freaking pre reviews nuts warn you ahead of time because what are you going to do at that point Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. what if you have to be somewhere exactly and the previews were really interesting for this movie because like i remember telling tim that like they were all over the place because clearly the marketing team does not know what to do with a movie like everything everywhere all at once and so you had like previews from every genre imaginable there was this horror movie Bob's Burgers, some movie about a horse that I looked really weird. And then my favorite, Marcel the Shell, some like, <laughs> it was oh, nuts. I forgot about that. Were you like taking mental notes? Yeah. So basically it was like the whole, every genre of movie was being represented in these previews because our movie is so difficult to nail down. That's it. It's, you're exactly right. But yeah, it's, it is strange watching a preview for a super dark rated R movie. And then you have one that's like for a G rated like kid movie about a <laughs> It's like a, what is he, a snail that goes it's traveling? A, it's a shell, <laughs> shell that travels somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, I've never heard of he, it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. A little so strange. yeah, it was very strange. But anyway, finally got through all of that and got to the film itself, and uh, we're ready to talk about it. Did you fall asleep at any point during the movie, Tim? Be honest. No, I don't think. Did I fall asleep, John? No, I didn't see it. I didn't. I, I was didn't just wondering because you were so tired going into it. You no, made it I, was, the whole I thought thing. the movie was good. I didn't feel like it was a sleeper, man. It was a good, good. movie. 
Good, good, good. All right. Well, here we go. Let's talk about it. So let's talk about the plot. Tim, no. how would you describe this movie to the uninitiated? I like to let you start because you always have this like nice crisp uh, little little tag maybe. tag for it. And then you're like the plot appetizer. And then I, I fill in the details. And so. then you'll like actually say what actually happened. Okay. <laughs> so here's the plot appetizer. Okay. A struggling couple, in particular, the wife and the couple, own a laundromat. They have come over from China, I think, and they own a laundromat. And basically the wife is unhappy and they're being audited by the IRS. And their business after, what, 20, 30 years is at the same spot that it was at almost when they started. And it's just the whole situation is a bummer. And so as they go into this, this is where kind of you start. And then it goes into a bizarre multiverse situation. There's a daughter involved. There's just a lot of stuff involved. It's complicated. So I'm going to have to probably rely on you. It's a three-part kind of movie. And it has some... I guess supernatural. I don't know how you describe it here, John. Yeah. No, that's good. That's a good. So yeah, they're at the IRS office getting audited because they got all these problems. And then the the couple, by the way, is Evelyn and Waymond. That's the couple's name. And Evelyn gets pulled aside by her husband, Waymond, and who describes that he is actually not her husband. He is her husband from an alternate universe and that it's now up that they need Evelyn's help to save the entire multiverse because there's some crazy villain that wants to destroy everything. And that's basically the movie and they've got this this key device where you like put on some sort of headset and what you can do is you uh do some crazy action and then you can connect with an alternate version of yourself based on you know based another version of yourself who made different choices and you can then harness the skills from that alternate version of yourself to help you in the present moment that's one of the main gimmicks of the movie and so evelyn learns how to incorporate new powers and then she has to save the universe and that's that's the film yeah so there's it's complicated it gets real philosophical and martial artsy artsy (laughs) i never use that term that's uh, martial artsy i like Yeah, that's probably a good description of the film i like that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and you said you said when we were walking out that it's kind of like if Marvel's whole like Doctor Strange multiverse it was like if you took that but you took it really seriously and it was more grounded, right? That's kind of what this movie is, which oh, I like. I think this multiverse is a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. So it, it's every the idea being like if you look if you imagine like a tree, right? And every and you had to make a choice. You're at the bottom of the tree trunk, right? And you have to make a choice, and and you can go to one, two, three, or four limb, right? And then you keep making choices all the way up to the very end. You'd be at a very different place, right, in the yep. tree. So the idea of the multiverse is it's kind of like that tree, which is all those realities exist simultaneously, and you're only on one particular branch in your lifetime of that, so that. Every choice that you make will change what universe you're going to be in. So you, you're way up on the tree limbs or whatever. Is that is that kind of yeah, a good summary? Yeah, I think of that's that? accurate. And it's just yeah, you're right. It feels more like a realistic take than sort of the cartoony thing that Marvel gets into. Yeah, I like that. It's like, well, we need three Spider Man, so we're just going to pluck them. <laughs> so that's like grabbing apples and then you know what I mean off of the yeah. tree. Which, but like, like to me, the the idea of that multiverse is. Yeah, it's like really highly based on human decision, mm-hmm. uh, and that there the might choices there we be, make. right? Yeah, different universes, and then if the more you think about it, the more 
it maybe dissuades you from making any choices. <laughs> I know. Even a simple choice of turning left or right out of your driveway can create a whole other universe. Exactly. Uh, uh. <laughs> All right, cool. So that's your plot. And then the movie is directed by Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinart, who also wrote the film. And they've uh, worked together in a lot of movies. The one that I saw instantly when I was looking at their filmography was Swiss Army Man, which was from 2016. Now, I've never actually seen it, but that I remember the trailers. It was like Daniel Radcliffe from Harry Potter and Paul Dano and they're like on an island and Danny Radcliffe is dead and he's like a corpse or something and then the corpse somehow comes alive at various points and it's like this life-affirming weird surrealistic movie do you remember seeing the previews for that yeah I didn't see the film which is I, I supposed to see the film because it's supposed to open up my world to something I don't know Me but too. I didn't see it and now I want to go back and see it but yeah, no, same no. here. I didn't see it, but that was like, that was a movie that I recognize that they wrote and directed a few years ago. So they've, they've mm-hmm. done a lot of work together, but that was, so that's the team there. And then what did you think from like a writing and directing standpoint on this one, Tim? What, what, what struck you? What struck me about it? I just thought yeah. it was really, they had a good, a lot of times when you go in and it's not, I wouldn't call this an independent film by any chance, by any means. But sometimes when you go into a high concept film, they the action suffers, the spe- everything suffers. It's like that would be like the Marvel-y parts of the situation, and a lot of times there isn't a sense of humor that goes with the high concept. So I felt like it, this this movie, from a writing standpoint, had high concept. It addressed like nihilism and existentialism, and you know meaning. But at the same time, it had a lot of humor to it mm-hmm. and a lot of action. So I think it was really impressive from a writing standpoint. Like, how do you balance all that? I don't know if they accomplished that, but I do think that it had a lot of elements to it that I did not expect. Right. There's so many balls in the air when you're dealing with a movie like this. You've got all these visual flourishes and costumes and like tonal shifts, and they really did a good job of keeping it feel grounded and keeping us invested which is no small task when you're dealing with so many different moving parts. And yeah, I, I agreed. It was like sensory overload, but like in a good way that didn't feel overwhelming. Now, I don't think they did like a perfect job. I mean, there are some times where the movie's a little bit too much of a good thing, you know, where they're like throwing so much at you. And it's not like it's too much, but it's like some things hit, some things miss. You know, some of the gags are a little bit like crass or go on a little bit too long and, you know, things like that. Some of the fight scenes go on a bit too long. But overall, it's pretty impressive that I, I wouldn't even know where to begin with a movie with the, like this. And they did a good job. Yeah. So like this is not a critique of this movie, what I'm gonna, about to say here. I think with multiverse movies, there is the propensity to, for me, and I think some, if, if I'm doing it, somebody else has to be doing it too, I, I would guess, to give up because the, it's almost like they can do the, what, Deus Ex Machina thing. Mm-hmm. And they when you have a multiverse situation, the rules are so fluid that the t- it's hard to create tension because at any point... Something from the other multiverse, I mean, something from another universe can pop in and like change the rules. And so I think that it is an inherent problem within the any of these films is that to keep tension, there has to be rules, right? right. And and if, if, if it's constantly, you can like, you know, either if it's drop another Spider-Man in or... Yeah, I mean, it, so I think that we, I get, I lose it there where I'm like, well, can we just change? We're just basically changing the rules all the time. And at that point, I'm just like, well, what's the point of watching the game? 
<laughs> yeah. No, that's a good point. As compared to a movie that's grounded in our universe and our rules, it's like someone's in a life or death situation. And it's like, oh, they only have the tools that we would normally think are at your disposal. Whereas in the movie like this, it's like, oh, I'm in a terrible situation. I push a button and suddenly I can get out of it. And it's like, at some point, you don't feel that same like life or death consequence to, to, the, to the Yeah, problem. It's like watching a video game where you respawn all the time. It's At some point, you're just kind of like, I don't want to watch this. There's no consequence. Yeah, no consequences for actions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so within a multiverse, you have to be really careful to have consequences for actions. Otherwise, the, the character development can occur. Right. And I thought they, they handled that pretty well. I mean, there were definitely some Duex Mahina moments in the heat of a battle or something. But like, I think overall, you felt invested. It felt tense. And really, the consequences were more the relationships and the emotional components, which I thought is the, was the right way to go. And they and there was some really like tenderly orchestrated emotional themes, which I thought well, it really kept things together. So, yeah, for sure. All right. How about some acting? Michelle Yeoh leads the pack as Evelyn, and she's been in a ton of movies over the years, man. I remember her from all the way back from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah. Which, and I, I think I remember it because it came out around the same time as The Matrix. It was like a few months after The Matrix or something, and it was like they were really tapping into that whole like slow motion fighting thing that The Matrix had just like exploded into the universe as like the coolest thing ever. And so I remember they were kind of riding off the pigtails of that. I remember seeing that movie for that well, so reason. There was like a lot of like wire fighting. Yes. So you're taking traditional mar- martial arts and then you're, you're kind of toying with it, right? So that exactly. was like a big deal. And some of that stuff's like become standard, right? So mm-hmm. that. And that we see it in other films too that are not yeah it's just become part of the filmmaking yeah no but she's been in a ton of other stuff too i mean she's she was in memoirs of a geisha gardens of the galaxy 2 crazy rich agents she was just in the new shang chi marvel movie so i mean she's been in a lot of stuff and let's not forget she's gonna be in all of the avatar sequels tim and this is your monthly mm. reminder this is your monthly reminder that there are not one not two not three but four avatar sequels coming to us they're like the movies that no one asked for it's so bizarre to me i i just i literally can't get over it i think we asked for them like 15 years ago or whatever i think somebody did but somebody did and uh clearly james cameron listened because he's been working on these movies for the last 13 years exclusively but like funding i mean as far as like if you're an investor you 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 definitely want to fund this Oh, you did initially. Now you're like hoping to recover something. Right. I just don't know. Like, I remember seeing the original movie in the theater. I remember thinking that was okay. It wasn't like a Matrix situation where it's like, that was one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. I want more now. It was just an okay sci-fi flick. And so the idea that you're going to spawn four sequels from that is bizarre to me. But hey, maybe he knows something. But how much money did it make? A ton. It did make a It's ton all about money. the money. It's all about the money. So it doesn't matter what it, it... It's like, did it make money? And people probably will go to it. Although, how old were you? And I mean, like, so if somebody was 10 when they saw Avatar, they're mm-hmm. in their 20s now, right? Yeah, right. Hmm. I don't know. But all anyway, right, she's know. starring in all of them. So Michelle Yeoh is going to be starring in Avatar 2, which actually comes out this year. Avatar 3 in 2024. Avatar 4 in 2026. And Avatar 5 in 2028. What a fun thing to look forward to. Mark that on your calendar. <laughs> well, apparently you did. Apparently. <laughs> I think I'll probably uh, ignore it until you tell me to go watch one. I'll make it right. I know. But anyway, she's really good. She's a terrific actress. you agree with that? I Yeah, she's great. And she's worked in multiple languages, right? Yes. Yeah, not just... So she has, this, she has a martial arts ability, but like the... 
just her acting is great. And she's won a bunch of awards. Yeah, she's definitely uh, fantastic in this role. She's like perfect for this role. And she does. She's kind of a good every woman sort of thing, right? Like be, when we're confused, when they're throwing all these terms at us in the beginning and we have no idea what's going on, she's kind of our like stand in for what the heck is happening right now. And she does a really good job with that. Yeah, she's it's very down to earth. She does a good job of like. Yeah, playing a character that could be a superhero, and then at one time, at one point in the in the film, she could do like you know these things that are unre- uh, just unreal. Yeah, and then and then also play a laundromat owner who's who's tired because of the burdens of life. Exactly, exactly. Common person and full fledged hero. Yeah, good range mm-hmm. there. And then Evelyn's husband Wayman is played by an actor named Ki Hai Kwan. Now, Tim, what famous role is Ki Hai Kwan most known for? <sighs> A bunch of them, but I can't stop thinking of them as short round, which is unfortunate because that's a freaking terrible image. <laughs> yes. And the more I read about it, the more I hate it. I get angry about it. Because do you know a short rounder in the first draft of the sh- script was a dog? I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, that's I mean, terrible. So, oh, yeah. Now we can put a, an Asian kid as that now. And I'm like, oh, God. This is now, like, of course, make, it makes me ill. We were yeah. talking about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Short oh, Round yeah. was uh, Indiana Jones's sidekick in that film. And yeah, that's what he's most known for. And you can kind of recognize Goonies. his high voice. And he's also in the Goonies. That's correct. Which is also terrifying if you look at like <laughs> stereotypes and crap like that. Anyway, it's just, but okay, so we're going to let it sit in its time period. I'll try not to be too reactive, but I know that he hadn't acted in a long time. It's been a long time. There's a lot of like 19 or whatever, right? A lot of gaps in his resume. But before we move on from Temple of Doom, we have to say, and as <laughs> as we said before, we're contractually obligated to mention the creator of the Cinema Faith website and friend of ours, Dan, Dan Baker. Baker. And Dan has an irrational love, I would say, for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. He actually, when we made the short round connection, we texted him and he had the gumption to say that... Temple of Doom belongs in the top five 80s movies of all time. All time. That's what he said. And I didn't agree with him, but I also didn't know what I was talking about. (laughs) I got confused. I got Raiders and Temple of Doom confused. You did. Because you made a UHF reference, and that actually references Raiders, not Temple of Doom. Yeah, Not Temple of Doom. Yeah. I don't but understand. But we both like Raiders. Yeah, of yeah. course. Well, Raiders is an absolute classic. There's no question. But like, just the idea of elevating Temple of Doom to this status, I mean, it's just a, a universally reviled film. It doesn't have any connection with the other two in the trilogy. And it's so bad when it comes to stereotypes and, you know, racism. But, but, if, you're, but if you're a young kid right. and you watch someone remove a beating heart from a live person and they stay alive for a while, there's something that's riveting about that. Maybe that's what Dan was connecting to. Yeah. I will say, you're totally right. And we have to cut Dan some slack because it really comes down to nostalgia. And nostalgia is a powerful thing. How many times do you pull up an album that you know from your childhood that you know is absolutely terrible, but it brings you back? It's nostalgia. I understand. So that Dan, film's we got a you. lot of heart. Ah, there it is there you go so dan we forgive you for your take even though it's objectively wrong uh because nostalgia is powerful and so you um you're forgiven but i mean some people are yeah right like think of citizen kane right he's uh it's a sled doesn't he what he what he wants rosebud 
Yeah. Rosebud. So like Dan, if this is your rosebud, it doesn't have any kind of intrinsic value. It's just, it is nostalgia. That's right. But anyway, as we said, he's a good actor and it's a shame that he hasn't been in more, but he was in The Goonies and he was also an Encino man with Pauly Shore and Brendan Fraser, which I remember from another, my childhood. Another pro- fine <laughs> film. Yeah. That I do remember it. That's a terrible Although I movie. get that one confused with Biodome, even though it's not the same actors. Right. No, no. This is the one yeah. where the caveman wakes up in the modern day and uh, yeah, Sean Astin's this. in that movie from, you know, <laughs> Sam from, uh, from Lord of the Rings. It's a great film. No, it's not. It's not. It's a terrible movie. So anyway, Anyway, yeah, so he's a re- but I thought he was really good in this, and he's like he's really good at fighting. He's got like presence, and well, he did he's- stunt coordinating for a long time, right? Did he? Okay, I didn't know yeah, that. And martial arts stuff, yeah. Okay. He kind of that's how that's where when he stopped acting, he was he well, he went to film school at USC, which is like unreal. I mean, that's like the best film school, right? Boom, or yeah, one of, or one of them, mm-hmm. and then ended up doing a bunch of stunt coordinating. Perfect, and, and it so, shows. So he's got a resume. He's got the resume, and he's a good actor as an adult. Exactly. Exactly. And what, and like really good. Mm-hmm. It was funny. I was reading is that he didn't, when he saw Crazy Rich Asians, he's like, I should get into acting again. Wow. It seems like a film for a lot of people that were like, oh, I don't have a career anymore. It seems like a lot of folks watched that film. They were like, no, there can be film where Asians are represented in ways that are not short round. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. And Michelle Yeoh uh, was in that too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. She's the mom. She's the mom. Like she's so evil in that movie, but then turned out to be okay. But yeah, that's a, if you guys haven't seen that movie, go see it. Oh, it's such a good movie. I have not it's seen it. So movie. I need to go see it. I do. Oh, I need man. to. It's been yeah, on my list should, for a you'd while. You'd like it. You'd like it. Yeah. So go short movie. round. He's great. I love that guy. Yes. And then, I also really like the daughter and the villain of the movie, played by Stephanie Hazu. She's been in like a bunch of TV shows like The Path and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is really good. That's on Amazon Prime. But she did a great job because she had to play like two alternate roles. She played the like this daughter who is estranged from her mom, Evelyn, and then she also plays this megalomaniac crazy villain. And I thought she was great. And she might even be one of my favorite performances in the movie just because of the range of that. I thought she did you have any thoughts on her performance? Yeah, she she had the ability, the ability to be kind of evil and then endearing. Right. So I, I and and it, maybe even in the same scene, mm-hmm. she's she was good. I but I still think that yeah, she she was she was good. But but I do think I think all the acting was good in this film. And we didn't even add we didn't even talk about Jamie Lee Curtis either. Jamie Lee Curtis, we got to talk about her. She's the grumpy tax auditor slash zombie fighter lady in an alternate version of herself she was great i thought she's just having fun you can like so tell that that all of the performances in this all the actors are just like from day one are like let's have fun let's have a blast this movie's crazy and we're going to to rock it out and you could just tell jamie lee curtis is letting her hand out and it's amazing she loves the movie that's another thing is that a lot of like you can a lot of these actors have can get work and not like what they created like jamie lee curtis is a supporting actress in this but loves the movie. Uh, there was an article about how many tweets she has done with the, for this movie. Wow, she's in love with this movie, and and doesn't have a. I mean, it's she has a supporting role. It's not like a huge role, and, and so like I think that that tells you a lot because she's been in so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's probably the biggest name in the film. But the fact that she would kind of play a smaller part and then genuinely is just invested in the material, and you can tell that from her performance. You can just tell how much fun she's having with it. Yeah, yeah, she was just fun to watch. She's. <laughs> She's very played her t- the type correctly. It was great. <laughs> yeah. So a great cast all around, very well acted and just fun watching them and they're yeah, it was awesome. 
So, Tim, all right, let's dive into some themes here. I want to tee us off, though, if that's okay, because I want to spend a second to talk about open theism, because it is actually, since we are cinema faith, this is an actual theological justification for the multiverse, and I want to make my, make my claim here for just a moment. So if you'll indulge me, I'm going to go for it. Can I disagree with you at some point? You can totally disagree with me, yes, for sure. All right, go ahead. So in my mind, there's basically like three schools of thought when it comes to how God interacts with the universe. There's, of course, more than that, but in my mind, there's the big three. So you got Calvinism, which basically says that God controls everything that happens in the Within universe. Christianity. Within Christianity, right? yeah. Okay. Okay, for right, for right, sure, right. for sure, within modern Christianity. So you got Calvinism, which says God basically controls everything that happens in the world. He directly controls it. He's kind of like a puppet master. Then you've got Arminianism, which says, no, 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 no. We have free will, but God knows all the choices we're going to make ahead of time. And so then God has ultimate knowledge of the one path that everything's going to take. And then you have open theism, which says, wait a second, both of those theories have a problem because they're relying on this blueprint version of reality where there's like one path that everything can go and that God can see this one path from the beginning of time. And if that's true, then regardless of what, of who controls it or who knows about it, then we don't really have free will because there's just one path that can happen. And then you run into the problem of evil where God is directly to blame for everything evil that happens in the world. So then comes open theism, which says we have free will. And because we have free will, the future is actually made up of possibilities that are based like the movie on all of our choices that we could make at any moment of the day. And all those free will choices are out there. And God actually doesn't know which choices we're going to make. And that's the part that really freaks everybody out. But hear me out. So it's actually the only way that we can legitimately have free will. Because if you're going out your driveway, like I mentioned before, and you can turn left or you can turn right, in Calvinism, God is controlling your decision of whether to turn left or right. In Arminianism, God knows your decision beforehand, but the fact that God knows what you're going to choose means that it's already predestined ahead of time, and therefore you really don't have the choice in that moment to take it because God already knows what you're going to choose. Only open theism allows you free will because God legitimately doesn't know whether you're going to go left or whether you're going to go right. But, this is the key, God has a perfect plan in place for either decision that you make. So whether you go left or right, God already has worked out a plan for those two choices and then, so, yeah, so it's not that God is impotent or he's just, like, like waiting around with popcorn wondering what's going to happen. He knows all of the possibilities that could happen, and he has a plan in place for all of them. So that's open theism. And I think what it does is it solves really two important things. First, it gets God off the hook for evil, because, like, if you think about Hitler, like, in Calvinism, God preordained Hitler and then therefore caused the Holocaust, which is problematic. In Arminianism, it's basically, like, you try to solve the problem by saying, no, no, it was Hitler's free will choice. But if God knew for sure that Hitler was going to create the Holocaust, then why did God create Hitler? It's like if a guy just lets a rabid dog out in the neighborhood and then blames the dog, it's like you have some responsibility as the owner. But in in open theism, it's like, no, really, actually, Hitler could have grown up to be any number of things. He could have been a priest and saved villages of people. He could have been a doctor, and this was just one path that he chose, and God didn't know which path he would, he would choose, and he was working all throughout Hitler's life to try to steer him on the right path. So it solves that problem, and then lastly, it solves the problem of God 
being actually like full of wisdom and glory because if you think about it like that's the only system where god does have wisdom because in a chess scenario if you are uh, if god is playing someone in a chess match in calvinism he's controlling his opponent's moves which doesn't take any wisdom at all in arminianism he has like kind of a printout of all the moves the dude's going to make which is a little better but still like okay and then but in open theism god actually doesn't know the moves and yet still has a perfect response to each one and wins the game. So it solves the problem of evil and it makes God truly glorious. And that is why I subscribe to open theism and I think it is a beautiful theological system. Yeah, so I'll disagree on a few things. One is, the first thing I would say would be, I, would, I wouldn't contrast open theism necessarily with Calvinism or Arminianism like to get the most meaning out of the, the concept. I would, I would contrast it with classical theism, which I think Calvinism and Arminianism would also, they would fall under. So the, the God of the, um, the omnipotent God, so the God of all power, the God of all knowledge, right? Uh, omniscient. So I think within the Western understanding of systematic theology, we would call it classical theism. I wouldn't even call it creedal, but I think it's things that we, it would definitely be in the academic, medieval academic traditions, so what are the character where we classify and characterize God? So we'd say all knowing, all powerful, you know, first the the first thing, right? So all all these characteristics that we would typically have omni in front of. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when I look think of open theism, I look at the idea that God is becoming rather than God is. So the idea of possibility. Now I and I don't know if that creates a multiverse, it creates possibility which is different, I think would be inherently different than a multiverse. A multiverse would say all these, ex- all, everything exists simultaneously. So that there's a hundred different verse, like universes, right? Right. But it's kind of like the multiverse in the sense that every choice creates an alternate version of how things could have gone, but you're still on this path. Like in the movie, Evelyn and Wayman like right. are on this one path, but there's all these other possibilities that exist out there. And so we're saying that God can see all the other possibilities. And so God basically can see the multiverse. Right. So like using the tree example, you could make the choice everywhere. God sees the whole tree. Mm-hmm. We only would see whatever branch that we happen to be on or stick or whatever we're at right. in the, in the thing is that is yeah it doesn't exactly. necessarily so that doesn't necessarily mean that the every branch exists in reality it means that we took do, do you see what I'm saying sure but in the movie it, from their vantage point it only exists hypothetically too or well I guess since they can tap into it it really does exist I thought but, it, it's like everything bagel right <laughs> sure sure yeah 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 you know you're right you're right uh, it does exist but still I disagree with you that in that atheism in any way diminishes God's omni insert all the omnis because it's not he is still omnipotent he still does know the future exhaustively even more than than the other systems because he knows all the possibilities and he knows he has a response ready for them so he actually knows the fuller future better than some like one way that it can go and it doesn't in any way limit his power either right i'm I'm not saying that what i was going to say i'm just contrasting them and so i would say that also the the idea that god doesn't change i think that's like a big one right god is like god never changes and then open theism would say, well, what about Christ? What about the spirit? What about how God deals with human beings? Like these things all change. And then I think one of the strongest arguments for it, you know, even if you don't support it, one of the strongest arguments is that we are, as human beings, we are, we are creatures of change. 
so that we, and, and you might argue that we're also creatures of stability and routine, but that we're creatures of change and that we're become, we are becoming. So why would God, if we're made in God's image, not be a, a God of becoming like, so change. And so, well, so that's a lot why, of those arguments. I guess I don't know why you would have to even go there. I don't know why you'd have to say that God is changing. Why can't God be who God has been since the beginning of time? Like God, it's the universe is always changing and God has a response for those changes, but it doesn't mean that God himself becomes something different no but i think that's key to the to me oh yeah that's key to process process theology which is a branch of open theism it's a branch yeah but this is but i would say that the class the the kind of open theism that greg boyd espouses is not does not say that god changes and if you are interested in more on that subject i would recommend his book by the way uh, the god of the possible by greg boyd that's what opened my eyes to the the system and he goes into a lot of the nuances because you probably if this is the first time you're hearing this you probably have a ton of of a but 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 questions and he addresses each one systematically in the book. Yeah. I know like for one of the problems with all these different formats, and this is a critique that is a hard critique to deal with, but it says that we're doing theology from above, which I think we've talked about before, which is that we are playing God when we're doing our theology. So we're like, well, if God would do this, God could do that. God could do this. God could do that. And it's, and we tend to want to systematize something. So even like Boyd is systematizing God, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. So create, creating a system and I, I mean, I everyone's know. doing it. Calvin did it. I mean, like all these I think systems we all are trying to make sense out of something. Uh, yeah. Of, yeah, yeah, we're trying to make sense out of what we believe, which I don't think is like a necessarily a, a bad thing to do. But it requires extreme humility, because well, like, how do you? Yeah. yeah, I guess you can try to build a system of thought on that and and classify and then say this is how God deals with humanity. And and one of the critiques with the theology from above is that the more we do it. And this could be from in, in any theological bent. The more that we do that, a lot of times the, 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 we get really far away from scripture. We mm. try to stay to it, right? Like people would go, oh, this is based in scripture. And I'm like, but it, we get far from the narrative a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So I think that those are the, you know, for me, it's like, uh, and then I would be careful that this is my, where I would disagree with you. I'd be careful that we, that you wouldn't simplify Calvinism or Arminian traditions to the point where they can't have any ambiguity in them because I think that's probably not academically fair, but I know you're trying to summarize. Right. No, I, I totally agree with everything you just said. Like, first of all, there's a tendency when you're doing a really brief summary, because I don't have a ton of time to make the other mm-hmm. systems a caricature, and I'm probably not doing justice to them, and I wish, you know, in a perfect world, we have someone here that represents both those systems that could provide a little more nuance. I don't. So <laughs> well, I'm definitely... I mean, that's like a book. <laughs> it's not necessarily a po- <laughs> like part of a podcast. So, so I I'm, get what you... Yeah. I get it. And I also agree with you that it requires a lot of existential humility because like and Boyd makes this point all the time that at the end of the day we're basically children you know drawing crayons uh, you know it, our systems are like crayon drawings of like uh, from a five year old and we don't you know we're saying all these things God does this and then God does that and we're just we're trying to make the best sense of reality that we can at the same time we always need to have in mind that when we see what it actually is it's going to be so much bigger and deeper and different than anything we could have possibly come up with in this life no question yes so anyway I'm I'm not discounting it. I'm just saying like it probably needs a little more nuance. For sure. And it may not be a problem solver. It may create just as many problems as anything else. 
it's, it, hey, it's, <laughs> you know, it's possible. Well, I appreciate you indulging me on the thinking, <laughs> from a thinking standpoint. Yeah, it was it was life changing for me because when I went on a, my theological journey, I basically grew up being indoctrinated with I didn't know it at the time, but Calvinism, the idea that like God's always in control. When something bad happens, it's like ah yeah, but you know what, God's in control, and and, and I still believe that, and open theism still affirms that. It's just when you break down the nuances of it, then it was it's difficult. So like it was a big journey for me, and when I finally got to that it solved a lot of problems in my mind then i will say because we had this conversation in your kitchen i will say that like i don't hold on to it as tightly as i used to where i thought it really was the answer to all the problems and i would think anyone's a fool for believing in a different system i now am of a lot more as i've grown up a lot more humility and a lot more understanding that things are much more complicated than any one you know cute tidy narrative can possibly account for but it was really helpful for me when i was on my journey and maybe someone else who's never heard of it as i hadn't could go on that journey as well so i did want to describe it do you think it was helpful because it provided you with a i i I know for me there's there have been things that have been helpful do you think it was helpful because you kind of were like i either have to deal with i have to deal with a god doesn't care (laughs) right or I'm a I'm like completely alone and like a god that like kind of more of a deistic like he's so this the, the game is rigged right yeah so it's like the god who isn't moved enough to do anything it really or doesn't down, care enough yeah. to care about the creation that's the key it comes down to the character of god and that's what I was really really struggling with because when I basically when I started looking up answers to okay god's in control of everything then why did god you know basically cause the holocaust to happen what sense does that make and then you actually like look up the answers and the official answer is uh we don't know uh god is gl- just god's glory is bigger than anything we can imagine and we just need to understand that we we can't know in this life and it's just that was not satisfying to me and it really and if and if it, if it was true that god was the institute instigator of this evil stuff then i don't understand how god can't be evil himself and i can't be in a trusting relationship with someone like that so even if it's a wrong i prefer to believe it because i need to trust god every day that i'm the god i'm praying to every day is so, good yeah. is fundamentally so, good so so what's interesting is that's a classical theism tenet <laughs> <laughs> right that God is all good. Yeah, right. But that part's really important. So I think that leaves room, right? So to, to have a conversation here. Go, hey, look, this is also a value that that God being all good is like is also a value of, you know, as you're looking at uh, open theism. Like you'd say, oh, God mm-hmm. is good, right? You can affirm that. So essentially, that's one of the tenets of classical theism is that God is all good. So I think that, and then the functional is really important to you. So like the God I pray to every day, I have to have that God be like benevolent, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and not like callous not killing and, babies every day. Right, yeah, right. Right. So I think all those like, like, how, you know, maybe these different systems get there, get to that point in a different way, or maybe they don't address the point correctly. And, you know, like the crayon, you know, we're doing the crayon drawings, but I think that that point, like to me, like you had to have that in a system is like, I think either one, you know, even Calvinism, I think Arminianism could affirm that like that those are important things. No, I agree. It's just that the way that they get to God still being good usually involves like we just don't understand. And then my point is that, but like if we're made in his image and we have a basic idea of morality, that morality can't be the, God's morality can't be the opposite of everything that I believe is fundamentally good and loving, you know, so that's what Yeah, yeah, I know. So it gets hairy. It gets a little bit. You get in the weeds. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah. But anyway, 
big rabbit trail, and uh, I just I had to lay it out there because in my mind, that is the best theological justification for the multiverse, and I do personally believe that the future is made up of possibilities and something akin to everything everywhere all at once from a theological perspective. So there you go. Thanks for indulging me. The end. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> all right. We're going to move on. We're moving on. All right. So Tim, what other themes did you appreciate in this film? Well, so I liked a lot of stuff that was, I, I, it's theological, but I wouldn't call it particularly like Christian. I like the idea of that infinite choices doesn't bring any kind of satisfaction that you see in this. Like the idea being like, okay, there's, there's multiple there. You could see all the choices all at once and it actually brings dread and angst. That was the problem with the main villain of the movie. The daughter, she basically is once she was able to see everything all at once, uh, she turned to nihilism basically and just didn't, everything didn't matter to her anymore. Right. It's like Aldi versus Walmart, man. That's like my, which is like Walmart creates angst in me. (laughs) (laughs) And I think this is something human, right? So that when we're faced with like so many choices and all of the choices have a consequence that would be future and that would be like, cause they're cumulative choices, especially the earlier ones matter more than the later ones that that can create dread in us and misery in us because there's always the possibility of, it's like a FOMO, right? There's always the possibility that something could be better or that something could be worse and the the unknowing of that, and then we're we're faced with looking at all that. Then there's there's a certain dread to it, so that nothing matters anymore. Well, they've done studies on like when you you know people like if you go to a store and there's three choices versus like thirteen, and what it does to our brains. Like we actually function better when there's less choice involved, and yeah, or less possibilities, I guess. Right. So I mean, but even like so, if a computer had so many choices, it takes more time even if it's like milliseconds, right? Mm-hmm. It takes more work. And so I think there's something to that where we have, where in our era, we have to work a lot harder to get, and people were like, oh, I think the, tr- the typical thing is like, oh, everybody's on the internet, that's bad. But I'd say like to be on the internet is to be doing a lot more mental work. Yeah. You know, even if you're on social media or, or if you're trying to discern, like even like if we're researching this movie, like it takes a lot of work for us to know all the details. Like if we if we came in when there's no internet and we read a couple like we read a Rolling Stone article in the you know in a Chicago article then it would be a lot easier. We could just go off of that. Right. Like I recently I I bought a TV last year and that was like a 3 month journey of like there's so many brands. There's so many different components. And it's like, then you finally find one that you think is good and the reviews are terrible. And it's like, literally, it took me three months to find the TV that worked for my home. And it's like, how much better or more comforting would it be if it was just, there's one TV. We all have the TV. It's the one. The one they make. And yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. But that, but that also is like problematic in and of itself too, right? Because if there's only one of something, then and that, that creates dictatorships and bad things. But choice is good, but at the same time, it's overwhelming. Yeah, and also like does life consist of – what is the substance of life? Is it a bunch of choices, whether they be consumer choices? I mean, what is, what is it? And this is like Ozark gets into this too, right? Or is there something else? Like, is it something different than that? You know, are we the sum of these choices? Are we the path of those choices? Is there, you know, as we look at our lives, if only I had done this and then we get full of shame and regret, which I think there's a place for shame and regret in our lives. I mean, that's, you know, not, I don't think overwhelming, but yeah. So, so I think this gets into kind of existentialism, which the, you know, a lot of it's very 19th century, which I think is funny. Hmm. 
Kierkegaard would be a Christian existentialist that we could interact well with these themes. And then there's, there's other ones like Camus and Sartre, if you're into the philosophy and the literature that surrounds this stuff. But a lot of that's like early 20th century, late 19th century. So it's like really like, an, these are some old ideas. Yeah. And the mystical traditions of, you know, basically like, you know, she has that googly eye in the middle of her forehead, which is the, all third seeing eye. Eye, the third eye, which is very important in the mystical traditions, right? Of seeing, seeing reality from um, non-binary perspectives. Yeah. And we think that the idea of the burden of choice and then like the lack of hope, like, so you make your choice, you're locked in. I think there's something to that. But I also think like the idea that like love like a commitment, love to another person might be the most important thing when you're surrounded by a million choices or where you can see all these paths and it's overwhelming. Maybe to be present in the present moment and to love seems to be really important. Which is exactly what the movie drives home in the end, which I loved exactly, is that like you you have this villain who is just overwhelmed by the choices and overwhelmed by seeing everything at once and is ready to sort of destroy everything because of it. And the path that Evelyn ends up choosing to overcome is love. And I love that. I love how like, so it, you know, we talked about pacifism in our Batman podcast and I'm not getting into that again. You can go hear our take on all of that and Christian, but, but, but basically like, and we both agreed in that podcast that, you know, this is a lot, it's a lot more complicated of a subject than just like, are you or aren't you, especially with Ukraine being a real time example. But the point is that I, what I loved about the movie is that it kind of described or visually represented what Christian nonviolence or cruciform love or peacemaking, if you don't want to get all Christian about it, could look like again, right? Like we have the, like mm-hmm. this idea that it's not passivism, it's not being passive, it's actually active, it's love in action. What all the actions that Evelyn takes at the end is actually love in action. She she has these enemies that want to kill her and she overcomes them by finding what each one is looking for in the realm of love and loving them in that specific way to them. And that's how she overcomes her enemies, which I thought was really profound and really beautiful and kind of the essence of what we mean when we talk about you know Christian nonviolence in action. I thought that was really cool. So yeah, love is what ultimately wins out. So I like that part. Like, so that's a take on the multiverse, right? It's not, if you could see everything, you also see the the things that somebody like the deepest longings that someone has. And then, you know, from a theistic standpoint or even just therapeutic standpoint, right. That we could meet some of those needs or that we could attempt to address some of those. And that would, that would actually be a way to show enemy love. Right. Yeah. Which gets us into the Christ. I mean, that gets that kind of bridge, builds a bridge to, to Christ. But also, I think this is not Christian. No. It's it's just, it's like you said, peacemaking. But I think even, yeah, so, so that we could see the perspective in this multiverse of our enemy. Which I think you get, like, because we are, we do have a million choices. It is like Walmart, not, and it's not like, uh, or it's like Amazon's what it is. Versus, you know, going to the corner store. But I do think like there's, we also in that hopefully would be able to see other people and see how we could connect with them in a different way or how to meet needs or or love folks. That would be a hope that I see as we become more, as as our culture and our, our world begins to bear more resemblance to the multiverse. I don't think that the, the all these multiverse movies are accidental. I think it's that we're becoming we're overwhelmed with choice and we mm. see all the choices and we see, okay, here's the path. And I think the more we're, we're more able to see that now than we have been in the past talking to somebody who's a pre-internet person and a pre all this stuff, 
we also have those positive parts of being able to see so much. Absolutely. Yeah. And it wasn't just loving others too, or loving your enemies. Like the movie also touches on the importance of loving yourself because Evelyn needs to do that in order to heal as well. Like she has this relationship with her father and then she's been demeaned her whole life and criticized. And so she has to actually take that moment of in this really cool scene where she's loving each individual person. One of the people that she also has to learn to love is herself. And it also represents the importance of love being sometimes letting go and letting people make their own choices. It touches on that. So I think it's really like a very well-rounded idea of what love and action looks like for others, for our enemies, for our Ourselves. It's beautiful. It was a really powerful ending. So that love, like basically other centered love is the key to, of getting out of existential angst. Yes. Yes. And dread and despair. Literally <laughs> in the movie. Yeah, exactly. I think it's interesting because like, you know, I've done a lot of, I talk about it sometimes on the podcast, like 12 step, right? It's like one of, one of the steps is you got to go, you got to like serve other people. Like that's like, as you get, like, that's one of the ones that's like the, like as you get healthier and healthier, it's also one when, when people come you know, you're doing pastoral counseling or you, or you get to this point where it's like, well, have you, have you served anyone else lately? Mm. What have you done to like, because a lot of times people, we get myopic and we get all like, what are my needs? What are my needs? What are my needs? And sometimes the key to our own health is to go, is to not necessarily ask that question. I'm not saying like, if you're, I don't saying like that we jump into pure codependency, but I'm saying like for, for a lot of us, like what can help is to get perspective, which is go serve, go give some money. So a lot of times if, you know, I remember doing this like pastorally, if somebody's struggling with money, one of the first steps is like, okay, well give some money to somebody mm. like tithe or whatever. And that's counterintuitive, but it, a lot of times that becomes, oh, okay. And so I see that in a lot of areas, which is like other centered love is that has action associated with it is really important. And it provides the healing that you are looking for in yourself. It can, bring, it can heal the other person. Yeah. And it, and it is involved. There is choice involved, right? Cause you don't have to do that stuff. But yeah, the seeking the other is like really important versus this angst. Right. Because I think we're seeing more of that like from a psych standpoint, like the mental illness that young people are experiencing. I'm, say, I'm not saying angst and mental illness are the same thing, but I think there is like this over uh, overload that pe- uh, from an emotional, psych, everything in the era we live in, it's, it's, it's overwhelming, just like the everything bagel. <laughs> In the movie. (laughs) In the movie. Right. You see it a lot with people in their 20s. I think people that like didn't have that millennial sort of one foot pre all of this and one foot in, you know, people who are just born into it. I think life is very overwhelming because they don't know any other reality other than infinite content and infinite choices. And it's no wonder that depression is through the roof and it's tough. It's hard. Yeah, it's angst. This movie, like a lot of... uh I would call, I don't know if I'd call it sci-fi. I guess I would. I mean, it, cause it kind of, it is one of these genre bending movies where you're like, I'm not quite sure what this is, but I would say like it, it does. And a lot of times it describes the current state, not necessarily the future. It be, becomes like a, the parable for the current state. And so yeah. I think a lot of people feel overwhelmed. I think when the, there's so many choices, it's like, well, it can be paralyzing. So you just, you know, what, and, and I think to be present to each other, and to see each other and then to other centered love seems really, really important to me in the midst of all these choices versus being just get paralyzed and then zone out. I mean, that's the other choice, right? Mm-hmm. One of Richard Rohr's uh, most famous books that I loved is The Naked Now. And on the cover is a picture of the third eye, like the googly eye that Evelyn wears. And I mean, that's one of the antidotes to 
basically a world that is overwhelming is bringing everything back to your breath, bringing everything back to this present moment. And Rohr argues that that's where we actually find God. That's where we meet the, you know, eternity and the kingdom of God is only can be in this present moment now. And that's what that book is about. But I mean, that that's definitely one antidote to a life filled with so many choices that it leads people to despair. Yeah, I know like the medieval uh, theologians talk about the, the Trinity as the idea of like if it, that it would be unselfish, mm. which is a weird idea. Like I don't know if I can get wholly behind that, but the idea that it's focused that the that no member the the members of the Trinity, even like if you look at iconography, like Rublev's icon of the Trinity, you're going to see that the focus of each member is on the other member, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which is a bad metaphor. Like I'm not even. It's hard to even talk about the Trinity, but like the idea being like that it was the idea that lo- that perfect love would be this tripartite thing, which you see in the you actually see in the film, right? Yeah, yeah. So that if anyone becomes totally self centered, even if they know the entire you know like what can, what's going to happen in the entire universe, like it, it's totally despair without having that love focus on something. Yep. Beautiful. I love it. All right, Tim, what are your final thoughts on everything, everywhere, all at once? And your letter grade. Go. My final thoughts are it could be a little bit of an exhausting movie. It needed a little bit of editing. And I will give it a B because of that. I think it's high concept. You won't lose people because the martial arts are really good. And it's funny. But I would say it needed some editing. And I think that there will be some folks that get more movies based on their performances in this. So it's solid B. It does get slow in some parts. All right. Good, good. I liked it. I thought it was unique fresh. It was fascinating. I agree with you. And Dan Baker actually mentioned this in a text too, that he thought the movie needed a tighter edit. I think we all are on the same page on that. Some of the fight scenes could have been shortened. It was a little long in spots, but and I also, I think that there's a tonal shift that happens from the first to the second half that was a little bit jarring that could have been smoothed over a little bit. But I do love how everything wraps up. I love where everything leads to. I was genuinely like moved at the end. And so there's a lot of very hefty, emotional, weighty themes that really come home that was powerful. So I'm going to go with a B plus, uh, slightly higher than you, but uh, there's no shade. It's a very good movie. I highly recommend it. And I'm giving it a B plus. And I think it is still playing in a indie theater near you if you want to check it out. But I'm sure it'll be streaming at some point. too. It's going to stream like I think the beginning of June. There you go. Perfect. So I think like June 7th, 8th. I can't remember. Man, that's the thing. I was reading this article about how streaming windows are getting shorter and shorter, right? Where it used to be like a movie's in theaters and then you don't see that on quote-unquote home video for like six months and now it's three weeks it's coming to streaming. It's crazy. Well, there you have it. That is the movie. That's everything, everywhere, all at once. And uh, like we said, you can either check it out in a theater or you can catch it streaming in June. But next month is June. Wow, I can't believe that, Tim. We're almost halfway through 2022. What is happening? So we got to find another movie to see. I don't know which one we're going to. We got to go with something people will actually see. Yeah, I know. I feel like now now this one wasn't as bad as Drive Me Car- Drive My Car even though there is some subtitles in this at least, you know, it's mostly mainstream-ish, but we should we should find a summer movie that people actually are going to what's, see. What's out there? Do you know? You're always the I guy need, that knows. I need to do some research into June. I know that the new here's cra- here's what's crazy is the new Top Gun is coming out with uh. you know and I know. I know. But, like, this movie is getting rave reviews, and it got, like, a standing ovation on the film festival circuit. It's nuts. I don't know. I don't see how it can possibly be that good. How can that be? (laughs) 
<laughs> I know. So maybe, you know, I'll look into that. But, like, we will find something. We're going to find a summer movie for you next That's month. perplexing. That makes yeah. me curious, right? It's bizarre. Like, what's going right. on? Did somebody, uh, did they grease some palms here? What's going on, man? I know. How could that reboot you. even be decent? I it's just not a reboot. It's a sequel. But, like, I know. Oh, I, it's I, a sequel. It's a okay. sequel. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. And it's got Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise in it, you know, so the original peeps. Those guys are like, there's no possible way they could even be in the military at their age. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. Even if they're like admirals, it's not, they're just too old. They have to, they have to be forcibly be retired. Those guys are like 60, aren't they? (laughs) Possibly. No, there's no way. Is Tom Cruise 60 years old? Oh man, he probably is. He's Is he older than Brad Pitt? Because Brad Pitt was 55 like a couple of years ago, right? Dang. And, and they got to uh, be right around the same age. Yeah. Yeah. I bet he is. I bet Tom Cruise is 60 years old. I have to look that up. Yeah. We could find out. It, but so, so like these guys aren't even like military age. It doesn't right. just, it doesn't, I, I'm not saying that we should, they should be constrained, but it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. But whatever, maybe it will. Maybe all things will be brought into uh, clarity here. Yes. So anyway, we will find, if not that one, another mainstream movie next month because I know that we have have gone down the indie rabbit hole. So I will try to find something for us. And we'll be back in your podcast feed with something that you have seen. And it will be wonderful. So, Tim, it's great talking to you, man. (laughs) And it was good seeing you a couple weeks ago. I love being being on that boat with you, fishing the day away. I wish I was there right now. I know. So, all right. Keep the faith, my friends. We will see you next time.